guys, there's no way to adequately put together, you know, visually what happens spiritually on those camps or retreats, but it is an amazing thing to be a part of a church that is so invested in our students. We took over 300 students and, gosh, 100 uh, leaders in these camps, and, uh, and, and it was an honor for me last weekend to be with the middle schoolers and to be sharing uh, not only the gospel, but, you know, uh, paintball welts and, and motocross, uh, you know, sweat and... Uh, and, and all that stuff. And really, we have some amazing leaders. I was just honored to be there with uh, incredible leaders like uh, Jana and Janie and like Cameron and Steve and, and, and all the leaders are just amazing. So can we just thank our leaders and our student ministries for a powerful, powerful summer. Yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, th th there were dozens and dozens of decisions last weekend, and 15 students got baptized. And, and it's just, uh, honestly, as a pastor, I just get so overwhelmed at, at the beauty of God working through our church the way that he does. So I love you, Overlake. By the way, uh, I'm Mike Howerton, uh, one of the pastors here. Nice to meet you. And... Um, this summer, you know, if you've been tracking with us, that we've been going through stories that Jesus told. We're talking about parables. And so we've talked about parables like parable of Good Samaritan, a parable of the lost son, parable of the great banquet. And again and again, what we see is that these are actually stories about God's good heart. There's stories about how God wants us to be the kind of people that, that, that represent his heart and that we take care of our neighbors and our friends and people around us. And, and he wants his heart to be known by us, that he's the good father who looks for the lost son. He wants the lost found, that, that he's the, the one who throws a banquet and he wants every seat at the banquet table filled. And so the idea of coming after God's good heart again and again and again, it's just important for us to keep in mind as we jump into today's parable. So if you have your notes in front of you, you can see that we're talking about the parable of the barren fig tree. If you have your Bibles, open them to Luke chapter 13. We'll be in verses 6 through 9. It's just a short little parable. Let's go ahead and jump in. It says, then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. Okay, take a look at that. Right away, I know that there are some of you who do not readily identify with a gardening analogy, okay? I know this, I know, I know this, and I know some of you, you are incredible gardeners. You've been given the gift of a green thumb. Raise your hand if you love gardening, if you make things come alive and flourish. I see those hands. Don't be embarrassed. That's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. You're doing the work of the Lord right there. Let me just tell you that I did not receive that gift. I received the spiritual gift of killing plants. It's just amazing to me. I, every time my wife goes to like Molbacks and she comes back with a plant, I, I just feel like she's flushing money right down the toilet. It, it's amazing to me how I have this, you know, a, a really specific set of skills. Uh, it's the, that I either overwater or underwater. I replant too deep or too shallow. I plant in too much sun or not enough sun. Really, guys, I'm the whole package when it comes to gardening. 
In fact, right now we've got four new potted plants on our deck this summer, and my wife just looks at them and she sees beautiful flowers, but I see slow, painful death. It's a ticking time bomb here. And I know some of you are there. And so we're going to have to get over our own, you know, shortcomings, right? We're going to have to kind of get past what it is that we're not good at to understand this. Um, I will tell you this. In preparation for today's message, I read several, and I mean several commentaries on this short parable. And I want you to know, just on the front end, that there are actually many, many ways to parse out this parable. And so I'm going to go ahead and present what I feel like God's given to me. And if you have somehow heard somebody say different things about this parable, keep it to yourself, (laughs) that when we get in heaven, we can have a nice, long, leisurely conversation about what was really going on in this passage, and there, Jesus will reveal the truth, and and you'll see I was right. So, um, So let's jump in. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one is this. We were planted for fruitfulness, that, that there is this truth right off the bat that should be immediately evident to us about this parable, and that is that there's an expectation on your life, just like there's an expectation on any fruit tree that would be planted, right? You plant a fruit tree for a specific purpose, and God has planted you for a, f- a specific purpose. Before we moved up to, uh, to Washington, we lived in Southern California, and I love avocado. I just, I love it. I love guac. I love avocado. I add avocado to anything. Suddenly it's a party. And so I'm, I love avocado. So in our house in Southern California, by the way, avocado does not grow up here. <laughs> I've tried. Uh, but um, <laughs> in Southern California, it grows really nicely. And so we planted an avocado tree in our backyard. And, and it was just this beautiful little sapling. And so we were so tender with it and made sure that we, you know, got it the amount of right water and sunlight and everything. And, but then we moved. We actually moved about two years after we planted it, so we never got a chance to see it bear fruit or, or for me to kill it. And so we left and moved up here, and we've been here for 14 years. A couple of years ago, I was back in California visiting my folks, and I decided, you know what? I just want to go by the house. I want to see what happened to that avocado tree. You guys, it had flourished into this beautiful 15-year-old magnificent avocado tree. And it was, it was just beautiful, and it provided all the shade in the backyard. But more importantly, it was laden with avocado. And so I was sorely tempted to climb the fence and harvest. I did not. But I felt this sense of, hey, I planted that. You know, I'm so excited to see how productive it is. And I want you to understand that's exactly what God is like over you and over me. You see, God has planted you. And you are created with a purpose, his purpose in mind. And he's planted his love inside your heart. And, and he planted exactly who you are and exactly where you are and exactly when you are. And it's all for a reason. And the reason is for fruitfulness in your life. And God keeps checking on you in this hopeful expectancy to see that fruit. It says, Jesus says in Luke 16, 13.6, rather, Jesus tells the story, a man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there's any fruit on it. This is God's heart. There's hopeful expectancy, checking in again and again and again to see our fruit. And I want you to understand that there is a primary fruit that he is interested in. 
We'll talk about a few others in a moment, but let's just get this out of the way right now. The primary fruit he wants to harvest from his orchard is love. We talk about this again and again and again and over. Like that is the focal point of God's fruit. Love toward God, love toward others. And we have a clearer description of it in Galatians 5.22. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So take a look at that passage. It starts with love. One of my friends, Pastor Ken Baugh, has actually done a lot of work on this, and his argument is that the singular fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is love, and then the rest of these words are actually descriptors, kind of breaking down the different behaviors that are comprised within love. So love is the primary, and then all these others are sort of sub-qualities you know, of this one and primary focal fruit that God wants developed in the hearts of his children, and it's, it's love. And, you know, when you take a look at that passage, there's a question that comes up, and, and the question is, what does the fruit of God's Spirit look like? Or let's make it even more specific. Who does the fruit of God's Spirit look like? You know, in church, whenever there's a question asked, the answer is almost always Jesus. Right? So Jesus actually looks like this fruit of God's spirit, right? And there's that beautiful thing called the Trinity. So you Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all together. There's these similar character qualities and characteristics. But Jesus is the perfect embodiment, right? Perfectly filled by the spirit of God. And so we see Jesus as this beautiful first fruit of God's spirit. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when I look at this list of, of the fruit of God's spirit, um, if you're like me, what might happen is that you tend to focus on the areas where you're not as strong, areas where you need some help, right? It's just kind of how we're wired, many of us, that we're, we're kind of lean toward the negative. Here's what I want you to understand as, by way of encouragement. When you look at that list, if you see any evidence of any of these qualities in your life, understand that's God at work in you. Okay, this, this is an amazingly difficult list to pull off in human nature. But with the Spirit of God working in our life, that is where the evidence comes. And so if you ever see love, if you ever see joy, if you ever see patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control, understand that that's the Spirit of God working in you. Come on, somebody. Let's hear it. Amen. All right. So we're planted for fruitfulness. Number two here, and we are not working with an unlimited time frame. This is where it might get a little dark for some of you. We're not working with an unlimited time frame. Jesus says in verse 7, Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. You know, nobody wants to think too much about this idea of an unlimited time frame. Because we all like to pretend that we're going to be around forever. And that's a nice thought. It's just not connected to anything real. You see, the, the idea, I, I've been a pastor for 26 years, and some of you have heard me tell stories like this before, but as a pastor, I get an interesting insight into the reality of the human lifespan. It, it's just, I, I get a view that maybe many of you don't, and it's easy to not think about it, but as a pastor, I get invited into these holy and sacred moments and walk a road with people and families and in the most difficult times of their life, and I just have to say to you, none of us have an unlimited time frame. 
And we think we do. We think we've got, oh, you know, I think about my life. I'm 48 years old. I think I've got X number of years ahead of me. I, I have no guarantee. You have no guarantee. A few years ago, my neighborhood, two houses up, uh, we have a neighbor, an incredible couple, uh, guy's 46 years old, he's a Microsoft flyer, just doing really well. He had an incredible wife, Deb, and, and he actually raced Formula 4 cars, and so he had a car in his garage, and just a, everything going for him, just this great guy, just cool, cool couple. And one afternoon, this was a few years ago in May, it was a gorgeous May afternoon, he decides to take a bike ride, so he hops on his bicycle, he takes a bike ride, comes back from his bike ride, and he's feeling a little hot, so he, he does a few circles in his driveway to cool down. And while he's circling in his driveway, he collapses, and he's gone before he hits the ground. And immediately, your mind goes to something like this. Well, what, what medical condition did he have that was undiagnosed? What bad health habits did he have? What was going on in his life that, that, that would cause a 46-year-old with everything to live for to collapse and die instantly? And the reason why your mind goes there, the reason why my mind goes there, is because we don't want to think about the actual reality that none of us are promised tomorrow. Not a single one of us knows how long the road is for us in this lifetime. All we have is this moment right now. And what Jesus is urging us to do is to focus on fruitfulness now. Not later, not wait, not procrastinate, but now. This is how we focus on making life count. And if you have your Bibles open and you look a few verses before this parable, just a few verses before, there's this interesting conversation that Jesus is having about how a tower in town, a tower fell in Siloam and killed 18 people instantly. And immediately there was this theological talk about what had those 18 people done, what had their sins been in order for God to kill them so cruelly and unexpectedly, right? That's where it goes. Oh, there has to be somebody's fault. And Jesus says, no, no, you guys got it all wrong. That's not at all what's going on here. God doesn't just kill evil people. If he did, friends, every despot and human trafficker and crime lord would be toast like that. Obviously, that doesn't happen. Not everybody who is, uh, dies unexpectedly is evil, and not everyone who lives a long life is righteous. There's no simple formula in this equation. Friends, death is not God being mad at us. It's just a part of life in this fallen world. And there will be a day when death will be banished forever, thank God. But Jesus is building a sense of urgency today. And the whole point in all this is he wants us to take a look at our lives right now. Now is the time to draw close to God. Now is the time to put your faith in Jesus. Now is the time to focus on the fruit of love. Why? Because most of humanity, right? For most humans on planet Earth, death comes just a little too soon. For most of human existence, death comes in an unexpected or an untimely fashion. And so this is Jesus saying, seize the day. Seize the moment. Right now is a time for you to focus on what really matters. And you might want to write this down, but the best way to elongate your days is to maximize them. The best way to elongate your days is to maximize them. And the Bible tells us many places to make the most of opportunities you have right now because the time is what? 
It's short, that's right. Make the most of the resources you have right now. Make the most of relationships you have right now. Leverage these things toward a fruitful life of love. Now, here's what's interesting, and I hope very hopeful. This message is designed to be hopeful. I hope you're hopeful by the end of this. So, The interesting thing is that the owner, of, on first reading, the owner seems to be a bit impatient. Right? He keeps checking A's, check three years. He's, it feels like his patience is done. Here's what you need to know. It actually... And this is where a lot of commentaries sort of vary on the three years. Why the three years and what's that all about? So let me tell you the right reading. Okay, here it is. A fig tree, it actually took three years to bear fruit after planting. And so what the owner has done is he's planted this tree and and he's given the tree three years to get to this mature place where it can, in fact, bear fruit. And so he's waited the three years, and then he's checked how many years? Three years in a row. In other words, the owner has has waited exactly 100% longer than necessary to check on the fruitfulness of this fig tree. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful, and that shows this this kindness of the Lord over us and this this hope of the Lord over us that we will, in fact, become fruitful, that we will, in fact, yield good fruit for his kingdom. And, and, And I say that these qualities are beautiful, and they speak to the kindness of our heavenly Father. Romans 2, 4 says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Some of you know this verse by heart. Uh, It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Repentance just means to change, to change our focus, to change our direction. And so that's what's going on here. We're planted for fruitfulness. Jesus wants us to know this. He also wants us to know that we don't have an unlimited time frame for us to become fruitful But, check this, our gardener is a picture of graceful patience. Our good gardener is a picture of graceful patience. And this is where Jesus himself enters into the parable. It says, the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. I love that phrase, one more chance. You might want to circle that. We've, said, we've talked before about how Jesus is the God of the second chance, and he's the God of the third chance, and he's the God of the 10,000th chance. And I think what Jesus is trying to say clearly here is, Mike, you've got it wrong. I am the God of the one more chance. Right? I'm the God of the one more chance, and it's always one more chance with Jesus. And so uh, in this parable, he's our good gardener, and look what he argues for. He argues for three things. He argues for time. He's advocating for an additional year. He's, he's arguing for attention. The gardener is willing to focus special attention and effort on this project. And then he's advocating for fertilizer. The gardener is willing to invest additional resources to ensure fruitfulness. And the question might come up, why? Why is the gardener invested? And I think the answer that Jesus wants us to understand is because he loves the tree. He loves the tree, and he's, personally, he wants to see fruitfulness happen in our lives as well. So that's why the gardeners are advocate in this regard. I had a chance once to sit under uh, Phil Yancey's teaching, and, and Phil Yancey actually taught on this parable, and he points out something that I think is kind of funny, and, and you might, you might not. I'm not, there's no guarantees. I honestly don't know your humor at all. Every time I think I have a funny joke, I don't. 
But, uh, but Phil Yancey points out that fertilizer is actually a, a, a church word. It's actually a cleaned up church word. Because, uh, it, especially in the first century, what is fertilizer comprised of? What's the main ingredient? Yeah, you know, and in this case, the answer to the question is not Jesus. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's manure, right? So, so what's interesting, as Phil Yancey points this out, is what's interesting is the gardener, he's going he's gonna to dig up all the soil around this tree. And then he's going to dump what over it? Yeah, he's going to dump poop all over this thing. And then he's just going to douse it with water. He's just, you know, and the tree can't be thinking, this is pleasant. Right? The tree can't be thinking, oh, this is wonderful. It smells so lovely in my life right now. Yeah. And yet, why would Jesus say this about the gardener? Because the gardener wants fruit, right? The gardener wants the tree to succeed. So here's what I want to say by way of encouragement. Because some of you, you feel like I've just described your life. You feel like, oh, that's me. I feel like the stability that I was used to is totally dug up all around me. And I, the things I thought were sure, unsure, and there's all of this uncertainty. And not only that, I feel like God's just dumping poop all over me, right? He's just, he's just pouring manure over me, and then he's dousing me with this torrential downpour and, and all this challenge going on in your life and all this trial. And here's the encouragement. It means Jesus has taken a special interest in you. It means Jesus is right there with you. And he's walking through all of this stuff, and he's, he's actually pouring this attention out and this care out because he has such great desire for your life. He wants to have all of this beautiful fruit manifest within you. So lean into it and let him do his work, and don't be discouraged. Be encouraged because he is right there with you, our gracious and patient gardener, okay? So that's, that's the point. He's so generous. He's so gracious. He's so patient. You do know this, that his desire is that none miss out on the kingdom of God, that all come to a knowledge of his love, and, and so that, that their fruitfulness will increase. This is the heart of Jesus. You probably already know this verse from 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. He's patient, but he's not slow as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, not wanting anyone to miss out on God's love, not, to, not wanting anyone to miss out on the kingdom, but for everyone to come to repentance. And again, there's that word. So repentance, it clearly means change. It literally actually means a change of direction. That's what it means. And in many places in the scripture, it means a change of direction from living a without God life to living a with God life. Right? That you turn from going your own godless direction and that you turn and you begin to go in the direction that God is calling you to go in Christ Jesus. Or you're living without Christ's love and then you turn and you place your trust in Christ's love. So all these things, I, I, if you've been a part of church culture, you're familiar with these things. But I want you to understand how repentance is used in this chapter as Jesus says it. A fruitless life, repent to a fruitful life. Are you following me? This, and, and again, there's a, a little bit of a nuance here. It's very closely connected with actual salvation because the full manifestation of salvation in our lives will be fruit. But understand this. It's, it's, it's very nuanced. He's saying there are many who have belief and they've got theology, but what they don't have is fruit. Thank you, Andrew. I love you, man. 
And so the idea of Jesus saying, repent, don't miss out. Turn from a fruitless life, turn into a fruitful life. Okay, why? Here's the next truth. Because there is an account each of us will give. There's an account we're going to give. We're going to stand before the Lord. We all will. And this is where your title doesn't matter, and this is where your income doesn't matter, and this is where your education doesn't matter, because I promise you, the ground before the Lord is a level playing field. We're all going to stand, and we're all going to give an account. And here's what the scripture says, Romans 14, 12. Each of us will give a personal account to God. It doesn't get much clearer than that. We're going to give an account to God. Luke 12, 48, Jesus says, when someone's been given much, much will be required in return. So the Lord, in his perfect knowledge, in his perfect compassion, in his perfect understanding of what we've been through in our lives, he's going to require an account. And the account he's going to require is this. What did you do with the opportunities I gave you? What did you do with the talents I gave you? What did you do with the financial resources that I gave you? What did you do with the relationships that I gave you? He's going to want fruit in all of these areas. He's going to want to see what's the account that I have of how did I use my opportunities and how did I treat the people in my workplace and how did I treat the baristas and how did I treat the other drivers on the freeway and and I'm going to give an account of all of this and so are you, don't mock me. The idea is we're all going to have this conversation with the Lord. We're all going to be asked about our fruit. Now, If saying this and and the recognition that we're going to give an account, it brings up negative feelings of anxiety, then it may be because you're not entirely happy with the fruit that's being produced in your life. And if this idea of giving an account kind of brings up a sense of excitement, then it's probably because you sense that the Lord is at work in your life bearing much fruit. And so understand that there's a connection between your emotional response to this and how much fruit, at least you think, is happening and being produced in your life. And so the focus clearly of this passage is we've got to take a look at our fruit. We've got to take a look at how we're feeling about our fruit. Now let me tell you, and we've talked about this so many times at Overlake, I hope it's never boring, but you need to understand that the great news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that it's never, ever too late. That right now, if you are not happy with your fruit, today is the day you can make a change. Now is the time that you can lean in and you can ask the Lord, hey, do your work in my life. I want to be a fruitful tree in your garden, right? And so so that's the great, great news. There will be an account we give, but Jesus is ready and able right now to be at work in our lives, right? He's ready and able right now to help us as we repent and turn toward fruitfulness. The next truth here bit of an aside, the fruit we are to focus on is our own. In other words, you don't have time to focus on somebody else's fruit. There's enough work to be done in your own garden, okay? And so that's where our focus needs to be. Now, again, there might be a little bit of caveat here. If you're a parent, yes, you want to be an encourager for your children. If you're a spouse, yeah, you want to be an encouragement for your spouse. So, so yes, there's encouragement there. But trust me when I say this. You don't have time to be looking at somebody else's garden or tending somebody else's tree. You've got enough going on right here. Okay? Jesus is the gardener, you're not. You're supposed to focus on yourself. And this is all through the scripture, but Romans 14, 10, 
Paul says it pretty clear. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? You don't know their journey. You don't know their soil. You don't know what the gardener's doing in their life. You shouldn't be a part of judging that other believer. You shouldn't be a part of condemning that other believer. If you go back to Galatians 5 and you see that list of the fruit of God's spirit, you will not see things like comparison, arrogance, condemnation, judgment. They're just not on the list. Some of you are so sad, but they're just not there. Okay? Right? The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that we need to, to focus on. And so if you feel these other things like criticism or judgment or condemnation or condescension creeping in, just, just ask the Lord right there, Lord, help me tend my own fruit. I don't have time to be focused on their life. Help me tend my own fruit. I want to be fruitful with you. Last truth. The way to produce fruit is to stay connected to Jesus. You might want to add the word only above the way. The only way to produce food is to stay connected to Jesus. In other words, you can't focus on fruit. You've got to focus on your root. You've got to focus on the sense of your nourishment. You've got to focus on the sense of your refreshment. You've got to focus on the sense of your strength. It's all coming from Jesus himself. And he says this, John 15, you've already been pruned and purified by the message I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will, can you read this with me? Produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Okay, so we pursue intimacy with Jesus. We seek to remain connected to him in spirit and his word. This is the work we can do. We can lean into him and we can pursue connection with him and we can remain in him and abide in him. And and I think what that means is this idea of mental and spiritual focus. Right? We actually practice embracing Jesus. And the more that we're attentively connected to him, the more fruit of his love will be produced in our lives. Okay, I want to close with, with sort of a one last thought. And the one last thought is this, that this parable, it's about fruitfulness and full life. And it's not about salvation, although those things are not unrelated. In other words, reminding us that we have a limited amount of time to bear fruit is different than reminding us that we have a limited amount of time to accept Jesus as our Savior, although those statements both might be true. But the repentance that Jesus is urging is a repentance toward fruitfulness, from fruitlessness and toward fruitfulness. And in this way, he's actually leaning into the concept that's filled in the New Testament, the concept of rewards, Right? When we uh, get before him and we give account of our life, we will be rewarded for the fruit that's been produced in our time, in our opportunities we've had for God's kingdom. And so Jesus says this, and I just have two verses that just illustrate this. Listen, says Jesus, I'm coming soon. I will bring my rewards with me. You can circle that. I'll bring my rewards with me. This is his heart. He wants to reward us for the fruit we produce, each one according to what he's done. Or Matthew 10, 42, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be 
rewarded. You can circle that phrase as well. And I know, when, you know, this is a bit of a left turn. And again, this is why we can have all kinds of time to talk about this by the shore of some beautiful lake in heaven forever and ever. But here's the thing. I know some of you, you're not that interested in talking about rewards. And it feels weird to talk about rewards or the idea that God would reward you for the good thing that you do now or the kindness or the generosity or the sacrifice. That the, the Lord will be watching your life to see that that fruit produced, and even, he says, that the things you do like that in secret, he says, I'm going to shout from the rooftops, right? He's going he's to make sure everybody knows about this good stuff that's going on in our lives. And some of you, you're, you're so humble, you're like, oh, I don't need that. I don't need reward. I just, I just want to get in by the skin of my teeth, you know, and that's good enough for me. And so here's what I would just want to say to you lovingly is, you don't get in by the skin of your teeth. Nobody does. Now, you get in by the skin of the body of Jesus Christ that was broken for you. You get in by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. That, that we get in because of this amazing Savior named Jesus, who has loved you since before the foundations of the earth were ever laid, who has pursued you through all of the ages to this moment right here where he reminds you that he is your good gardener and that you are planted for a purpose and that purpose is to bear much fruit. And so that's why we want to live lives of incredible fruitfulness for him, okay? So why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's ask him to help us. Lord, we confess that there are so many ways that we, that we don't live out the fruit of your spirit working within us. We can see sort of our shortcomings really quickly. And so Jesus, what we want to do right now is we want to lean into our connection with you. We ask that you would do whatever work you need to do in our lives in order to allow our lives to bear fruit, the fruit of your love. You're the one who has showed us love. You're the one who's poured it out over our lives. You're the one who has been patient with us and gracious with us, and, and, and you have thought the best and believed the best about us again and again and again. And for that, Jesus, we are so thankful. And so we lean into you now, and we press into you now, and, and we just ask that you would allow our roots to grow down deep into your love so that the fruit that gets produced in our lives is fruit that reminds people of how good and loving you really are. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.